And live-ish from Smyrna, Georgia, with more character than a Brendan Rodgers team could ever ask for. I'm Jarrett Smith. Joining me from the East, well, the East Coast version of the Nicholas Rodero fan club in Stockbridge is Jason Longshore. Jason, what's up? Well, how's that fan club coming? Um, it, it's I think it's growing in numbers. Pretty sure it is. Everyone else seems to be on board. Welcome to the Peachtree Post. Soccer about Atlanta for Atlanta. Thanks for joining us as we catch up on uh, what's been going on over the last week. Look ahead tonight, going over the loan activity for Atlanta United. Everybody out on loan had some really exciting action this week going on. Uh, we'll take a look at uh, what go- what's going on with Minnesota United. Uh, as this is going up, you're probably going to be seeing things pop up about Minnesota United, it's uh, getting really fun really, really quickly up there. Um, a couple st- uh, stadium things to talk about with them. Uh, we'll take a look as well as uh, soccer media in Atlanta. This got mentioned a bit this week. We'll go uh, dive a little more into that in the soccer media in Atlanta and the Southeast, considering Atlanta's unique position. And we'll wrap it up looking at the zombie Seattle Sounders as they start to take over the West and take a look at DC United, New York, in the rivalry games this week that will surely not be overblown by any measure whatsoever. Uh, But Jason, first, um, loan recaps. And everybody was in action for Atlanta. Well, I should say the big names. Some of the smaller ones were too, but uh, the big names especially were in action. Yeah, it was exciting to uh, have Tuesday with Chris McCann making his debut with Coventry and Kenwin Jones finally seeing the field for Central FC once we got the international transfer certificate sorted out. Um, and then Hector Fischalba played last night for Tijuana in the Copa MX. So good to see kind of the, the big three get their, their time with their new loan clubs. Yeah. I mean, I was, um, that's one of those that I know you did. And we had a lot of people. I was really impressed with how many people I saw who were kind of, I don't want to say live tweeting, but we kind of were. Um, so we were live tweeting, uh, Kenwin Jones's game when he just decided to manhandle for lack of a better word, the back line of sporting Kansas city for 90 minutes. But I was really impressed with how many people kind of jumped into that and really got into it. And, uh, that was a lot of fun and a really good, a really, if you're going to have a first showing for the fans who you're going to be playing for, I went about as well as you could ask. Yeah. Um, I think manhandle for 90 minutes might be a little strong. I'd, I'd say maybe manhandle for about 50 or 60 minutes. Um, I'm excited. Leave me alone. <laughs> yeah, you and a, you and a few other people, but definitely. I mean, fitness. You know, I mean, it's his first uh, competitive game, and probably since you know, mid-May. Uh, he's only been training with Central for a couple weeks, I think. So, fitness was an issue. I think just getting into a flow was an issue. Like he, you know, started kind of quietly, and then I thought about the twenty-five, thirty-minute mark through maybe the 60 to 70 minute mark. Um, Very good. And then definitely hit a wall and kind of ran out of gas there towards the end. But even when he was gassed and trying to find his way with the team, he still was able to contribute. And that's the sign of a, a really good veteran. You know, he was just a beast on set pieces defensively. You know, he, he put in that work on those. Uh, He was, you know, just a physical specimen for the the back line to handle, and they struggled against it. And this was, 
you know, not Kansas City's absolute first choice lineup. There's a lot of first choice players in there, but not a total lineup that was first choice. So keep that in mind. Let's let's keep the the hype train from running off the tracks. So you're but, telling me he's only scoring 35 goals instead of 45. Okay, cool. <laughs> I, can, I can live with that. Yeah, Roy Lasseter's record, Chris Wondolowski's records, they're going down. Um, no, I thought it was really good. And I think what, what stood out to me was back to goal, target forward. Yes, that was good. But also running at defenders and you know using his skill with the ball at his feet was also very, very good. I mean, the goal was a prime example of that where... You know, he wins the ball at midfield, turns, he's facing a defender, lays a pass off. And then what I liked the most was the creative little run he made. I mean, he, it was almost like an outside back overlapping to to create that space and give, um, I, I keep forgetting the the player's name who, who scored the first goal for Central and assisted on this one. He had a great game. He was man of the match by most accounts. Uh Kenwin's run like created that space and it was just one of those savvy veteran moves and then the finish was what you would expect so you know I think it's as good a start as you could expect and not really sure what's next because you have some issues with the the TT Pro League down there with when the league's going to start there's some financial issues across the league it's been funded in the past by the government and it's kind of back and forth as to what it's going to look like this season. The better test for Kenwin will be with the national team coming up at the beginning of September. He's got two very important World Cup qualifiers, uh, one at home against Guatemala where they can clinch moving on to the hex and then the game in Jacksonville against the U.S. I'm on board with, I mean, I'm on board to kind of see that. Uh, I'm sure there will be a lot of people going down to Jacksonville to see the game. Um, because of the reach of Atlanta, I would say just on its own because of Atlanta's unique social uh, geographic location. Usually, I would say, oh well, we have fans down there who will you know go or fans around the area. But because the geography of soccer in the United States is so unique, uh, there will be like fans from other teams around. So I don't know how many people will make the trip down there. I'm sure some will. Um, the outlaws, the outlaws will be down there. The Atlanta Outlaws branch, I'm sure, will be down there as well. Right. Um, <clears throat> so that'd be really interesting like to cheer on the USA, but keep kind of a side eye on Kenwin Jones to see how he plays. But I mean, I agree with you on all counts. Like it went really well. Um, if he gives you 60 minutes of solid play a night, you know, that's, that's awesome. If he gives me 60 minutes of solid play as a, uh, as a holding nine, I'm really, really happy. Yeah. I'm cool with that. Um, yeah, the biggest thing is going to be keeping him healthy and, and getting his fitness right. So as long as they can manage that. And he's, again, he's savvy enough to fit, to find ways to contribute, even when he's not 100% or just, you know, not on. You know, if he is that guy on defensive set pieces, if he's that guy on attacking set pieces on corners, that's still bringing something to the table, even when, you know, he doesn't have his legs. So... Good to have a veteran like that. He could have had three goals that night. Um, Yeah, he scuffed that. He scuffed that first shot uh, with his weaker foot, and the second one should have been a goal when the keeper. I thought it should have. That that was weak. Um, And I've seen that count a lot. A keeper comes out way late, like not in control of the situation at all, crashes into the attacking player who has position, who's already up in the air, and is heading down on the ball. Like that was he. He could he. 
by all accounts, he should have had two, could have had a hat trick in his first goal in months. I mean, that's a great way to start off. I thought his distribution was really good, even when he was holding, like his hold-up play was great. But his distribution out of the hold-up play really made me happy. The, just the way he was laying balls off, a um, couple through balls here and there were really good. I thought he used his strength really well. I mean, I, it doesn't have to have been against the first line. And while that's important, and it really should not be lost in that, in that it was not uh, sporting Kansas City's first team defense out there. He still showed himself really well against a side that uh, that put up a solid fight. And I mean, he played he played against a side that already you know has skill and has talent and has quality, but he did so with a team that really it, they all clicked. I was really impressed with how Trinidad to oh, the Central FC clicked really well. Everyone seemed to kind of be on the same page. That was really fun to watch. And, I mean, it gives me hope that this loan spell will continue for him if, like you said, if the uh, financial state of the league stays quality, that this loan spell would be really good for his development, not at his age that he needs to develop like a young kid, but for his confidence and just to stay in a rhythm. I think it would. I think it could be really beneficial. Yeah, I think you nailed it with the rhythm. I mean, that's that's what you want a player like, like Jones to be in. Um, you know, you, you it, it actually works out fairly well that he wouldn't be playing a ton of games down there. That's a good thing. Um, that helps, you know, save his legs. Uh, but getting into a rhythm, and he's got a lot of games with the national team, you know, during this loan spell as well. And he's he's definitely made it clear that was one of the reasons Atlanta was so appealing to him, was to be closer to Trinidad and Tobago closer to his national team. He wanted to be, you know, loaned to central to be able to train with the national team for these qualifiers, potentially two qualifiers in November in the hex. If they qual if they make it out of this round and then the Caribbean cup qualifiers as well in October. So, you know, they've got not including any friendlies they might schedule. That's six national team games, potentially between now and the end of the loan spell, having him being in Trinidad, you know, playing with central that's a bonus that's going to help that's going to help you know just prevent the injuries that happen when you have a guy flying back and forth across the atlantic not fully fit and getting out there and tearing a hamstring tearing a calf muscle that type of stuff so i think it's good that he's going to be able to get into a rhythm but also not get overused yeah and and i'm I, I agree with you on all that, on especially the idea of not overusing him. Um, it's not, yeah, it's, I think that kind of gets lost when you loan people out. You're depending, the loan needs to be built around the player. Um, you don't just, you don't really just want to loan them out to just anybody. Uh, whoever comes with the first situation, you want to, you want it to be in a situation that benefits you and the team and the players specifically. And this does like you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to send him out to Wolverhampton somewhere where he's going to have to play 85, 90 minutes every single game because they're pulling people out of the crowd to fill out that team. Um, which that's a totally different story and a really fun one to watch. Do that. If you, if you haven't done it yet, go check that out. Um, I got to see this. They they have like 13 people on, on their team. Uh, there's a lot of people on that roster who have a zero next to their games played like a lot of Academy kids. Oh, geez. Um, <laughs> Good luck, wolves. <laughs> Best of luck. Don't die. Well, hey, 
Chris McCann's in kind of a similar situation at Coventry. Um, yeah. I think they have a few more warm bodies uh, that have that, some, it, a little bit of experience, but not much. That, that was an A-plus segue, Jason Longshore. I was quite proud of that. That was an A-plus segue. So Chris McCann did play this week. <laughs> go on. Go ahead. Yeah, McCann, um, you know, we didn't get to see it. Uh, unfortunately, Coventry League One games are not televised here in the U.S., Uh Nobody had a periscope in the stands. I don't think there were a ton of people in the stands, to be honest. But by all accounts, he played well. Uh, the manager was pleased with with what he brought to the team. Um, great feature on his play in the Coventry Telegraph, and that's definitely a follow you guys are going to want to have while McCann's over there. And he's in a different you know situation than Jones. You know, he's not quite as old. He hasn't had some of the injury issues, so. You know, he wants to play, and in Coventry, he's going to get to play a good bit. He's bringing a veteran presence to that team, which is fairly young. Um, Coventry's trying to get out of League One. They're trying to get promoted, and this might not be the year for it, but he's going to bring the presence of a guy who's been at a higher level and, and won League One last year to this team. So that was one of the things that was noted about his play by both fans and the, the Telegraph and Coventry alike was he brought a stability, brought a veteran presence to the team on the field. And he brought this mix of, you know, a, a physical game along with skill and class on the ball. And I think that's going to play really well in MLS. I agree. And um, that's kind of getting to what I was, I guess, trying to get to working my way there is that, you know, like the loan needs to be tailored to the player and that one works. I mean, like you said, he's not, he's not as old as Jones. Um, I don't want to say Jones is fragile, but you want to, I think you want to be careful with him <clears throat> and make sure that he is still a commodity when he gets to Atlanta next year. But McCann, you know, I trust him to get out there and play and the experience will be good. Um, especially if he gets into FA cup matches, that sort of thing where we get it. I'm excited for that. And I hope, I know you mentioned this, I hope they make it deep into the cup, whether they should or shouldn't, just so we get a chance to watch them. Um, I'm sure there are some people who are able to like finagle a VPN and like triangulate three Russian satellites and pull up League One games. I'm not one of those people. So I, I need take... one of those. Okay. Well, <laughs> if you have three Russian satellites and a VPN and you can send me Coventry games and links uh, at Longshoe on Twitter, I'll watch. He's not kidding. He will. He'll take it too. It's true. (laughs) It'll be great. Um, But since we can't really watch it, I mean, I'm I'm following through Twitter, and I'm glad he's getting to play this much. I hope that the spell ends up being very beneficial for him, being beneficial for Coventry. Um, I don't want to say we all become like fans of the teams that we get loaned out, that our players get loaned out to, but I'm I I want them to do well because I want it to reflect on the player as well, and I want the player to have that positive feeling i don't want him to come back from the loan kicking rocks well and you also wanted to reflect well on atlanta united who is trying to develop an identity so it is really important that these guys go and represent atlanta united well and what you know everybody's trying to build here so you want jones to do well with central you want them you want central fans to look at atlanta united and you want them to follow atlanta united mls you want coventry fans to do that and coventry already has a lot of mls connections with Andy Rose, Andy Rose, who played for Seattle, and now they have Jack McBean from L.A. on loan. That stuff's cool. I mean, Sholos has a lot of Americans mixing their team, so Vishalba being there and representing Atlanta United in Tijuana is a cool thing. 
it's it's definitely a big part of you know something that, that Darren Eels has said many times about making Atlanta United an international club and a club that's respected around the world. So these loan spells are part of that. Yeah, and um, speaking of that, we had another loan spell. Our own, uh, our South American version of Dennis Schroeder uh, played. <laughs> I love that comparison. I'm I'm so down with that. He is. He's going to learn to move at 85% speed like Dennis is, and he's just going to set the MLS on fire, and I can't wait for it. Um, <clears throat> but uh, Tito Vizalba played last night. Oh, does last he night. Does he have to do the, uh, the streak in his hair? Is he going to do something crazy with the hair? I wouldn't say no. If you're going to do something crazy with your hair, soccer's the right sport for it, and it no is. one's going to judge you for it. Like, for some reason... The greatest player on earth, Lionel Messi, just decided to do whatever the hell that is he did with his hair. So he, no one's going to flinch. Man, look, at, I, look, at I, the I, hair, look at the hair around this around this sport. No one's going to flinch. He, he might have to like bleach his hair and then have a black streak in a, like a counter move. I don't know. I can't say much. When I played in the local leagues in Athens, I bleached my hair. And it was right after Jaime Moreno came to DC United and he had, he bleached his hair. So everybody was calling me Jaime for the whole season. I see. I always got called Peter Crouch because I was like six foot five and 190 pounds. So I just got the the robot. That's the question. Um, once terribly nice. Um, it was like watching an octopus try and do hurdles. That sounds about uh, right. Yeah. Anyway, um, Tito Vajabla played. He, uh, from what I understand, he played on the left wing, which was different. Yeah. Uh, Sholas played Paul Areola, um, U.S. national team pool player trying to break through, and and he's definitely right sided. So Areola was on the right. Uh, Vishalva was on the left. Yeah, you could definitely tell he wasn't 100% comfortable on the left side. It wasn't the the strongest of performances um, from Vishalva last night. He was playing with a real young, inexperienced group, too. Uh, Herrera talked about it after the game, how you know Copa MX in Mexico is a little different. They, It's more like a group, almost like a Champions League format where you play multiple games in a group stage. They're really trying to bring the level up of the, the teams below the first division in Mexico. So Copa MX is a way to do that. But that being said, a lot of top division teams play reserves in this competition. So that was why Vishalba got the opportunity because he, he hadn't started yet for the first team. Uh, a lot of guys were in that same boat. They were you know, getting playing time for the first time. So there wasn't a whole lot of cohesion at all from Sholo's period. And I think that rubbed off on Vishalba. So, you know, not the strongest performance he played, I think 69 minutes, 70 minutes, just the time on the field is good. The one thing that I hadn't even really thought about that is an extra bonus of him being in Tijuana is they play on turf. Estadio Caliente's oh. turf. So he's going to get no used idea. to turf. Yeah. I hadn't even thought of it till I was watching a little bit of that last night. I'm like, oh, yeah, he's getting the chance to get used to turf. That's that's a bonus. So we're going to start loaning all of our players there and to, I'm assuming, Iceland. Eh, just, that, that so they, just so they get used to it. Um, no, no, none of that natural grass stuff for you guys. Uh, you guys got to work hard on it. Um, 
but yeah, that was that was unique uh, playing him on the left wing, and I make it makes sense. I mean, they're it's something you've mentioned before, other people have mentioned before. They're not under obligation to play him on the right wing for ninety minutes and specialize their entire game around him. Like part of alone is they're trying to win. That team's mm-hmm. trying to win, and when Atlanta United, if and when Atlanta United takes on lone players, they're trying to win. They're not trying to, you know, tailor their entire program around the development of one guy. So it's something we got to be patient with. Uh, there may be games where he comes out, plays the right wing, and has an amazing game. Maybe games where he has to play the left wing. He may not make the bench. Sometimes, who knows? Um, just have to be patient with it, and. Uh, it's not like he doesn't have experience playing the game, even at his age, as we've mentioned and many people have before. He's a really unique case. So I think there will be plenty of time for him to play. Um, who knows? Maybe they bring in a manager who decides they want to flip the wings and he ends up on the left anyway and we know nothing. I, I don't know. It's it's just a good opportunity for him to get some experience on the left and a different look. Um, definitely doesn't hurt. And you know it's good for him to get that experience now and come to Atlanta with that in his bag of tricks. So I'm, I'm cool with it. I don't think he's going to be a regular starter for Solos just because, you know, like you said, they're not, they're not looking to develop him as a talent. They're looking to see what he can do for them this season. And with his speed, with, you know, what he can bring off the bench makes a lot of sense for him to be that attacking sub in a wide position off the bench. That's a good fit for him there right now. So that's good. He's not going to get a ton of minutes. He's going to get used to playing on turf. He's going to be in a competitive environment. Uh, one of the things that Carlos Bocanegra mentioned when talking about the loan to Tijuana was that he's close to the U.S. so he can really work on his English, um, which will be a big you know, bonus of him being nearby and really able to work on that around and around a lot of American players who are there as well. So that will be another you know, added benefit of him being there. I think he'll be fine. Um, I think people who are expecting him to play 90 minutes every game are going to be disappointed, but I think in the long run, that's okay. Yeah, and I'm, I'm totally on board with that. However much he does or doesn't play, I'm on board either way because he's getting time. And like, just remember, if you're having a bad day, every day is one day closer to the first day of the season next year. So that's a positive thing. Um, and yeah, with that, uh, Jason, we'll move on to um, something that got brought up Wednesday night on the uh, ATL Soccer Chats, which you used to jump into. Um, hashtag ATL Soccer on Twitter. Although we've jumped into, or I should say Jason has jumped into the 21st century with both feet rather violently um, into the shallow end of the pool. That's one way to put it. Uh, they're actually on Periscope and uh, looks like Facebook Live is an option in the future as well. So Periscope, Facebook Live, jump on. Um, you can see Jason relaxing on his porch, listening to the cicadas and his animals and discuss the Atlanta soccer scene. Uh, times like this, we'll have things that got talked about and we can kind of expand on them. And one of those topics is this, in that it's the Atlanta media and the Southeast media in relation to soccer. Yeah, it was um, an interesting topic. I wish I could remember who who actually mentioned it. There's been a lot just recently about soccer media, and it, it kind of comes up here and there just about uh, you know the American soccer media is not critical enough, or it's not you know I guess forceful enough. They're not holding people accountable enough. Um, 
I'm not all the way there. I think there there definitely needs to be a balance of being critical. Um, it doesn't have to be all, you know, nice try that type of media coverage. It's not all boosterism, but boosterism isn't always a bad thing either. And I think soccer's in kind of a unique spot that you need a bit of both. To me, it just always comes back to I want to see soccer covered in Atlanta and in the Southeast like every other sport. You know, I you look at college football and the coverage that it gets, the in-depth coverage that it gets from the recruiting side to, you know, Georgia right now is who's going to be a quarterback. And that's the major discussion um, when Rick was let go. You know, it was it dominated everything was that discussion about who's next, who's the coach, was it the right move? You had all kinds of opinions. I want to see that type of coverage for Atlanta United and soccer in general. I, I'm it's not that I'm tired of the business talk and the off the field talk. Um, I just want to see more of more of the discussion about the sport and the games and the players and the coaches as opposed to is soccer going to make it? We should be past the is soccer going to make it conversation. I agree. And um, my I guess one of my things with the coverage is that I feel like it's always it's always a nines or ones kind of thing. And this bothers me a lot of a lot of sport discussions that happen is that. You have people who are dead set on the idea that everything is either on fire or it's totally fine, that it can't be somewhere in between, that it either has to be, we have, somebody has to cape for soccer and be a cheerleader, or they have to be like incredibly critical of it. Uh, Dan Shaughnessy has been writing the same article for 16 years, the Boston Globe, about how awful soccer is. Um, right. It It doesn't always have to be caping or hating it can be somewhere in between it doesn't always have to be a uh, fire cleansman or this is the greatest thing ever i mean when john brooks put a header in oh my god that was that was great but it doesn't it doesn't always have to be nines or ones there can be a middle ground it can be both you can be critical of a system and still support it and you can be critical of you know you can be critical of the development of let's say atlanta united if you wanted to be you can be critical of a decision here or there and still say the overarching theme has been incredibly positive. It, it can be, it, it needs depth, I guess is what I'm getting at. And a lot, I feel like a lot of the coverage doesn't have depth. It's just, here's the, here's the issue at hand um, and take it, take it for what it is and don't really dig into it. Cause there's not much to read between the lines. It's okay. If a few people write and you can read between the lines and that I've, totally okay with that becoming a more mainstream thing and just a more of a variety with the coverage. Yeah. We need more, I guess, informed opinions is the best way to put it. I mean, what I'm seeing in general, and this is probably more from an Atlanta perspective and, and even getting around the Southeast, I think you're seeing far fewer media members with just the ignorant Shaughnessy type of soccer takes. You're not seeing as much of that. I mean, I remember in 2010 uh, during the World Cup, uh, whoever was running the AJC's Twitter was definitely a soccer hater, and it drove me insane. And it was just so over the top with dismissing the sport um, that I wouldn't follow them on Twitter because of that. So, 
you're not seeing as much of that now. What I saw a lot of during the Copa America Centenario were media members who I would never have expected to be paying attention asking questions. They were curious about things. They were asking questions about things. And what I want soccer people to understand is that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing when your morning sports talk guy is asking a question. And yes, he might get some things wrong because he he doesn't know. He doesn't have that background, but he's interested. That's a good thing. That's where we're at now is I think that people are interested and people want to learn more. That's where I think the boosterism part of soccer media can be okay. And it's something that I've always looked at. And I guess it's part of, you know, having worked for a soccer nonprofit and just kind of being the, the soccer guy and a, a lot of the, the circles that I'm in. Um, I'm completely cool with that and explaining things and wanting to dig deeper. I don't want to explain it in a you just superficial way. I, I want to dig deeper so you get that full understanding because then we can have the conversation like we would about the Falcons offensive line and are they going to get it right or they're going to have a pass rusher. I want to get to those conversations, but there has to be some building in between. And I think we're getting there, but you nailed it with the nines and ones thing. It's not about like valid soccer coverage is not attacking everything. Just Just like valid Georgia Bulldogs coverage is not attacking everything. You know, people say that, oh, well, you know, you have a lot of fans in soccer and you have people who support the team too much and don't want to criticize it. Well, don't you think that people who cover Georgia football or Georgia Tech football or the Falcons or the Hawks or the Braves support that organization? They don't want that organization to fail. And it doesn't make them a bad journalist. They need to be able to, you know, cover it critically and in a balanced way. But they also don't need to just attack it. That's not covering it fairly either. Yeah, and um, I agree with the idea of not attacking it. And one of the, uh, I guess one of my things is, this has been discussed before, and I feel like it shouldn't be lost in that, don't forget about this idea, but accessibility and open arms, I think, are really important to the community. If you're going to be bringing in a soccer team to a city like, look, we've been over this. Atlanta's in a hell of a good spot. Your main summer competition just went white flight like hell up to the northwest side and moved out of the downtown area. It's gone. So it's just, you're you're there. You're in a great situation and you're going to have people who know the sport and people who don't. Going up to people who don't and being, and coming in there with superiority complex doesn't help anybody. And the same thing goes with the media. If someone asks a question, even if it's, even if it might seem like a stupid question, I, I went through this phase and there are times where I still ask questions because I didn't get into the sport until I was in high school and really took a long time to really understand different aspects about it. I mean, always still, I'm always still learning new things about it that I didn't know. And it's exciting. But that excitement needs to be for other people as well. So if someone asks what might seem like a stupid question, hint of superiority is not going to cut it if we want people, and especially media members, to embrace it and cover it rationally and evenly. Yeah, it's just it's got to have it's got to have a balance, and I, I, maybe some of it's just just my personal approach. Like I don't, I've never been a fan of the you know, the media as 
only a watchdog or, you know, uh, I, I always forget which station it is that has the tagline of holding the powerful accountable. And that's like, that's their tagline for their news. And that's an element of the news, but it's not your whole news operation. And I don't think, you know, soccer coverage, that shouldn't be all of it. There should be some of that, sure. But it it's definitely not a situation where, okay, well, you know, we want this to fail. And that's not, that's not fair and balanced coverage either. So I think it just balance and more depth is probably the what I'd like to see more of in soccer media coverage. And I'm, I'm really hopeful that people that would surprise us who, you know, are in media positions now across the Southeast take an interest in Atlanta United and soccer in general and get on board. Because I think with, you know, Arthur Blank involved, that's going to get a lot of people's respect and get people's interest. And you saw it tonight on the Falcons preseason game, and he's done it every time he's given interviews about the organization as a whole. He always mentions the MLS team. He always mentions Atlanta United. He always mentions soccer. He always mentions it in conjunction with everything. He's he's lending that credence to it, and I think people are going to respond to that. So, you know, yes, there's going to be some silly takes. Yes, there's going to be some ill-informed things, but I think there's an opportunity to grow soccer coverage and grow it in the media in the Southeast and just grow the respect for the sport across the board. Um, and I hope it's taken advantage of. I agree. I think it's a, um, those silly takes, I think it's a, instead of a condemning activity, it should be a learning activity for everyone involved and improve everything around the city with media, with the fans and just the rapport between the two. You see a lot on Twitter with sports that are already established, baseball, basketball, football. Um, it doesn't hurt, for example, in Atlanta and, um, I don't mean this to come off like a shot at anybody, um, but Jeff Schultz has turned uh, going to war against people on Twitter into an art form. Even when he's being uh, very dry-witted and sarcastic, people still go after him, uh, and I'm sure there will be that in soccer. Somebody will make a comment, and then Twitter will erupt, or you know, any form of social media will erupt, or some, or even a non-media member will. So those kind of things happen, but. We can make them, it can be a learning moment. It doesn't have to be a condemning someone and then they automatically lose all credibility going forward. So, um, yeah, and it doesn't have to be just Atlanta. I'm really interested to see what happens in Macon. Um, yeah. What happens in Chattanooga? I mean, you, and by that, I mean places with established clubs who, congratulations, this is the only MLS team within your area, really. Birmingham, for instance. Um, I'm really interested to see how they approach it as well because of the uh, proximity in the metro area, I guess. If you really want to call the uh, metro southeast area, if you want to reach out to Birmingham, be my guest. Yeah, I'm I'm curious about that. And, I, you know, you go back in, you know, back in time and you look at how Birmingham and Greenville, South Carolina and markets like that have covered the Braves and the Hawks and the Falcons. They've covered it not quite like a local team, but they've, they've covered it significantly. I wonder if United will be the same. And I think that's a hope and I think it, it can happen, but I think it might take a minute to get there. 
I hope they find a way to put United in everyone's house. I'm not in the same way the Braves did. You're never going to have TBS. Yeah, um, it's just different time. Doing that again. Yeah, yeah, it's a different time. But I hope they find a way to put it in people's houses and make it accessible to it and grow the fan base outside the city so that um, when people come to a United game, it's not just people from inside the perimeter or outside the perimeter. It's more like a Braves game. Like, oh, this so-and-so drove from Gadsden, Alabama to get to the game or from Greenville, South Carolina. I really like that. I would really be excited about that uh, that sort of perimeter of fanhood. Um, and I think I, I think the media will will find their way eventually and we just we as fans and people who you know talk about this for fun i think we just have to be patient and uh we have to be supportive yeah i think i think that depth and that balance will come um i hope people don't get discouraged because i feel like it might not happen immediately i think it's going to take a minute to get there it's going to take a minute for the understanding to catch up it's going to take a minute for that experience to happen but when it does, I think we will get there. And I think you're seeing it in in other markets that have had MLS for longer and had just the experience in covering a team day in, day out for this long. It'll happen. It takes some time. Um, don't jump to conclusions when you see uh, one news anchor or one morning show person have an ill-informed take on Twitter. Let's not, you know, firebomb Twitter because somebody said something stupid about soccer. Let's not go there. And I mean, we'll keep up with what's going on. Um, always do. Um, no New York Times articles today, please. Um, <laughs> well, it's oh. Anyway, um, on to other things. And um, Jason. As people are listening to this, they may be also reading on Twitter or watching a feed of uh, Minnesota United. I'm sorry, Minnesota FC. I'm going to stop that. Um, uh, maybe not. Maybe not. Um, they're going to. Pro- they may be keeping up with the feed. Minnesota. Let's just go with Minnesota. Minnesota um, being an MLS team, and that's a thing now. Looks like. Yeah, it's about to be. Um- I'm just glad it's finally getting resolved. I mean, we've expected it for probably a couple of years now that it was going to happen in 2017. And their stadium journey has been a lot more rocky than the the one in Atlanta. So if you haven't checked out, uh, if you're interested in anything Minnesota related, check out a website, 55.1. Great coverage uh, up there on, on the team. And they just uh, re-ran a three-part series about how Minnesota went from building a stadium in Minneapolis to the site that they're going to build on in St. Paul and just all the political things that had to happen for this, this to come about. So really interesting. If, if you're into that sort of thing, check it out. Uh, the announcement is happening uh, Friday night. Uh, they're really making a big deal of this. Uh, all the major players are going to be there. Garber, Taylor Twelman is going to speak. Um, I think he's from Minneapolis originally, if I'm not mistaken. I believe his dad played for the Minnesota Kicks in the NASL. They've got to get Jesse Ventura, right? I mean, that. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Jesse the body. That'd be cool. Um, so they're, they're coming in in 2017. We don't know all the details on what that's going to look like. I'm really interested in that. Uh, just wrote a piece this week on Dirty South about how that process went in 2014 for New York and Orlando and, you know, what we might be able to look forward to there. The timeline would still work in terms of 
how things are decided between uh, first draft pick and the super draft or the expansion draft or if there is an expansion draft or all this stuff. There's still plenty of time to work through all these things, but that will start to happen after Friday night's announcement. So I'm I'm pumped about that. Uh, drafts are overrated anyway. <clears throat> um, one of the issues that actually popped up on uh, 55.1 is uh, there's no special session up there, which um, this is a whole nother debate about politics and how it impacts stadium funding. And this is a good way to lose friends and alienate people. If you want to get into this debate with other people oh, yeah. about uh, you know public funding for stadiums, we're not going to go there. You can do it on your own. Yell at the wall. The wall will yell back. I promise. But no special session means like gets a little interesting with the um, with the stadium going forward, and um, I'm sure and like look as frustrated as we might be with Atlanta United Stadium uh, with the Mercedes Benz Stadium being delayed, at least it's most at least you can see the skeleton of it and it is a tangible thing right now for them. It's not even tangible right now. I can't imagine some of these people aren't pulling their hair out. That that really sucks. Yeah, it's I, I'll, I'll go on the record a little bit about the political part of it. I'm not somebody who's all about, you know, subsidizing a, a stadium for a pro sports team. But again, yeah, like we talked about with the media about balance, there are ways to support investment. And I think what happened here in Atlanta was a prime example of that with using a a hotel motel tax to be applied to Mercedes-Benz Stadium to pay for, you know, I think it's unfair to say a fraction of it, but not the majority of that stadium, um, to in return get an in, you know an investment in a you know in a part of town and commitment to actually help rebuild a part of town that needs it. So there's. Sometimes you have to spend a little to to get more in return, and I'm okay with that if it's the right deal. Every deal's different. Uh, Minnesota's deal, um, they actually were not asking for money. It's more on the tax break side of things, and you can deep dive into it with the articles on 55.1, and definitely do if you're interested in this, because they did a great job of covering it, but it, it... they weren't asking for money, but the political discussion came about basically like just they were asking for money, even though it didn't really. I don't think that was ever on the on the table for for the St. Paul project. So it's it's partisan politics. You know, neither one wants to really look at the situation in reality. They just want to argue. And now they won't have the special session to get this thing done. It doesn't derail the timeline too much. If you uh, read the update today, it's it could slow things down and it makes it a little dicey after a lot of the prep work is done this fall that if this isn't approved very early in the 2017 session, things could get derailed. They want to be able to play games in their new stadium in 2018. They yeah. do have the luxury of having the University of Minnesota stadium which is a great stadium, in. by the way. That's a beautiful it is. facility. It is. And I think they've got it for 2017 and 2018, if I'm not mistaken. So they're covered. They're going to be okay. They just don't want to hit any snags where things fall through and then the stadium gets delayed past 2018. That would be the only concern. Yeah, and I don't think that'll be an issue. Um, <clears throat> it doesn't look like it will be. 
it, looking at the end of the article, it talks about, you know, you can finish a soccer specific stadium 16 to 18 months, um, which would put them on target for some time in 28 in sometime in 2018. And I think they're, I think they're fine with that. Um, and you went over this on Wednesday night and I've heard a lot of people say this in the past, especially people from there that it's such a, they're, they're supporting that town and that people will support their sporting events. there. not even just soccer, but for a town that we make fun of, especially down here about being under snow for 10 months a year. Um, it's, it's still a very active, it's still a very active fan base up there. And I don't think this will really derail them. I think this would, if this was me, I would just be agitated because, and I'm running into this right now with Atlanta United, where it's quiet. And I don't want quiet. I want activity because I'm having to watch the rest of the league play right now. And we've only got, you know, so many players on a roster, which we are where we are and we're in good shape with Atlanta United. But I like the activity. I'm waiting for the manager, waiting for the kits. Um, and just to have everything kind of pushed back, I'm sure it's frustrating, but I'm, I can't imagine tomorrow they won't be super excited. Uh, we'll see what the team name is and we'll see the reaction. I'm sure Twitter will totally be measured and reasonable about all of it. Um, and we'll see real honest. Okay. Look, we're going to see whether or not Atlanta gets to be a bigger villain than they already are. You know, I don't think they are. I think there's been enough things kind of leaking out in the, the Twitter sphere. And you see some people who are fairly well connected who have hinted that they might be Minnesota United. I'm fine into with the that. League. Totally and okay I'm, with that. I'm great with that. I, I think they should be, uh, they've developed a brand, I think the the overreaction to Atlanta United's making us change our name based off one line that wasn't a quote in an article um, that was with no backup. It was basically saying Arthur Blank gets his way and saying that it was him who was so upset about Minnesota United. Um, okay, if you want to paint Atlanta as the, the heel in the league because of a line in an article that has no backing, sure. It looks like it's not going to happen. Um, at least that's a possibility. We'll see what happens tomorrow. But I'm cool with them. They've created a brand. It works. It would work if you took United out of it and it was Minnesota FC with the loons and the colors and all that. I would just it be would honest, still work. I'd be fine if they were just loons. If they went with like loons FC, I'd be like, cool. Totally uh, see, I, I'm I'm not. I just don't think that works here. I, I think it's too. I don't know. It's just it's trying too hard to be different, and I don't think it works in the American sports landscape. Uh, just because it it would work in England doesn't mean it would work here. You know, people who were demanding that the Atlanta soccer team was called Terminus FC that uh, would never work here. You know, we were talking about the media like getting behind something they wouldn't know what to do with that. Come on, seriously. Just because those types of names work in England doesn't mean they're going to work in Atlanta, Georgia or Minnesota. It's just, it, I just don't get, I'm not, I'm not on board with that. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be the city or state plus a nickname either, but it could have been Locomotive Atlanta. Yeah. that um, Or no. at, Atletico, Minnesota. Nah. Crush him, dreams. 
maybe I can go Atletico more than the locomotive Atlanta. I think if you were the Atlanta locomotives, maybe I'm still not completely sold on it. Well, I, most, I read a most of the people I know are just happy it wasn't the Atlanta Phoenix. Yeah, I definitely am happy about that. I I totally get the Phoenix imagery on board. Symbol the city. It's great. There's a city called Phoenix. It would just be too way way too confusing for people. Yeah, yeah, no, that's fine. Um, but yeah, I'm whatever they do with the name, I'm fine. I'm excited that, and I'm we've gone over this. I'm excited that Minnesota is getting an answer. We are getting an answer. The league is getting an answer. Now we just have to know where we're going from here. Whether it's um. Whether it's just going to be the super draft, whether there's an expansion draft, whatever they do next, at least we know um, the owner of Minnesota. Forgive me, I can't remember at the moment. And Arthur Blank will no doubt have their answers about what's going to happen with in terms of building a team going forward. Yeah, um, and that's what I'm excited about is we're going to now know what the journey looks like from here. You know, expansion draft. Is it happening? Uh, what will the player acquisition mechanisms be? I'm I'm pumped. It's going to be cool. So I'm I'm excited to get Minnesota in. Welcome Minnesota to the league. I think they'll be a great credit to the league, and excited to see how that impacts Atlanta United. Yeah, I agree. Um, okay, well, um, we'll check back in with Minnesota next week probably because that's a big deal. Um, Jason, we have rivalries this week. Actually, we might have a little bit of breaking news. Oh, I wish we had a, I wish we had a sounder. Um, oh, very nice. That was good. Uh, this just came up on Goal.com. Uh, Al Akli, which is a, a major club in Egypt, uh, their manager just resigned after a poor run of forms. Do you know who their manager is? Um. Is it Bob Bradley? It is not, but that would be God. awesome, but it's not. God bless. Um uh Harry Redknapp. No. Martin Joel. Oh. He has oh. just resigned from Alak Lee tonight. Um interesting. <laughs> Very interesting. Um, you have my attention and my curiosity. Yeah. Uh I'm I'm not gonna say that he's been the sleeper agent manager pulling all the strings behind Atlanta United like some people think. Um, I'm not. He, I don't. He, he's our chief hydra. He's our chief hydra agent. <laughs> yes, I I don't think we've had a contract with him all along, and now it can all come to fruition. Um, but uh, I'd I'd have to do some digging to see if there are connections between him and a certain president of Atlanta United. Uh, stranger things have happened. Um, you know, he's experienced. He's been around the world. He uh, is now 60 years old. Um, he started with Alec Lee in February, so he hasn't been there long. He was at Tottenham. So uh, I'm not sure if he overlapped with Eels or not at Tottenham. I have to see that. But it was announced uh, tonight that he has left Alok Lee. So, at his request, it was his. It, he resigned. He was not fired. So, oh okay. Well, 
Oh, all this is going to be even more amazing when uh, Carlos Bocanegra struts out like Vince McMahon onto the sideline for the first game. Man, you are so into that idea. Oof. Well, I mean, until I get another name, what do you want from me? But you've just yeah. given me a name, so I can't really say anything. I've um, just given you a new name, so things will be going crazy on that one. Man, we'll start the watch. We'll start the watch tomorrow. <laughs> I'll, light, I'll, light the, I'll light the beacon tonight after the show. We'll start the watch in the morning. Don't mind the fire. It's not It's not dangerous. Oh, um, Anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, we have rivalry games unless you have more breaking news. No, no, that's that's my breaking news for the night. Okay, well, that's still exciting. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I will get the old ABC World News Tonight sounder set up for next time. I apologize. Oh, that'll be awesome. Um, I'm down. Uh, New York and DC United. The original MLS rivalry right there. Yeah. Um, if it's tied, I say we go back to the 35 uh, free kicks. Oh no, the thirty-five yard shootout. I'm I'm yeah. all in. Oh, the I'm shootout. I'm in. sorry. I'd, I'd be I better will, if it was just free kicks. I will make a. a, a I've been full of bold statements tonight. I will make a bold statement. Not that all draws should be decided with the thirty-five yard shootout like they used to be. That's stupid. But I like the thirty-five yard shootout more than penalties. That's I saw the clip that someone posted the other day, and I was looking, thinking, what kind of don't? Oh, that's RFK. That canyon of a stadium yeah. <laughs> i'm doing a shootout in rfk and i swear it looked like the insider veterans memorial or or the min- or the hubert humphrey dome well not a dome <laughs> i mean it's it's you know it didn't have a roof on it but it know, looked but it, like it looked like it, it looked like atlanta fulton county stadium is what it looks yeah, like okay thank you it's just bland high walls that just felt like they were swallowing you alive it was like playing in a sarlacc pit <laughs> It's just a big round thing, just like oh. every other stadium that was built at that time. That's fair. Um, anyway, they're playing each other, and that's kind of a big deal because there's a rat's nest um, at the top of the east right now. You I thought you were going to say there's a rat's nest at RFK Stadium because there might be. That's understood. That's just understood. Um, but there's a rat's nest at the top of the east. Uh, NYCFC, Toronto, and New York are just biting each other until somebody decides to die. And give up the uh, give up the first round by because they're all separated by two points. Uh, FC with thirty eight, Toronto with thirty seven, New York Red Bulls with thirty six, and Red Bulls are playing DC, who's sitting in the sixth spot and barely hanging on to the sixth spot from Orlando City, who's barely hanging on from uh, New England. The East is really fun. Um, not that the West isn't. The East is really fun though right now, and this game means a lot to both of them. Aside from the rivalry, it could kind of pave the way for them yeah this this is always a good game i mean i've i've followed dc from the beginning and followed their history really closely and you know dc new york it was the original rivalry in this league uh that first playoff series in 1996 between the two that um dc won on a penalty in the 89th or 90th minute in game three they did do a best two out of three series which awesome back in the day just absolute chaos in early mls you, you have to watch some of this stuff um, one of those times when like old school sports you're like this is so stupid and then you look back like that was great i miss oh, those days drama dude it was it was crazy um you know this these teams do not like each other it's it's not you know manufactured they absolutely do not like each other and both teams play very aggressively so there could be some fireworks uh in this game definitely going to be a lot of cards would be my my one prediction um 
Well, it's a good thing neither one of these teams has like been critical of officials over the last few weeks or anything. Oh boy, I haven't heard anything this week, so that's that's good. Um, that might change. We can we can make that change. Oh man. I think they would be smart to not keep going down that road because I think the refs are starting to turn on them because they're tired of being criticized before the game even starts. It's just me. I don't think that approach works for you. Um, I think it's going to be a, a fun one to watch. The teams, you know, it's kind of one of those things like styles make fights and New York will have the possession. DC will look to counter. Both teams are comfortable playing that way. New York's going to cause turnovers with that press, but they're also coming off of a CONCACAF Champions League game uh, midweek where some players played in. So they might have to manage their, I don't know, just volume of the press to a degree. New York hasn't lost in their last seven. Uh, they last lost the game to New York City FC uh, about six weeks ago. And DC won their first game in seven last week. So kind of have teams trending differently a little bit. Uh I think they're probably going to cancel each other out to a degree. I think it's going to be a one-one. I just DC hasn't scored enough goals to make make me feel completely comfortable in them getting a win here, and I don't think they can shut the Red Bulls out. So probably a one-one would be my guess. I was thinking two-two, but two-one kind of game with um, and the two-two comes to mind just because the idea of someone scoring that late firework to uh to take a point away from it which i think both of them be very upset with given their situation in the table you know both of them want points right now they need three points each team needs three points right now like like we're we're running out of games in which you can gain three points it's true so i mean somebody's somebody's gonna have to do something but um i'll take two two um i mean not really jumping out on a limb there compared to you but you know we can't all be nostradamus (laughs) it's Um, true it's on the true. other side, uh, the team that just won't die, uh, Seattle, our future MLS champions. Um, Whoa. Whoa. That's not, I'm not going on the record with that. Whoa. I think you just did. <laughs> if they win it, I'm going to claim it. If they don't, I'm just going to pretend I never said it. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, they're playing Portland. They're hosting Portland. And like, Jason, can somebody stop Seattle? Is that a thing? Or short? Okay, let me rephrase that. Short of tying up Ladero and tie, and like throwing him under the stadium, or I don't know, into uh, Puget Sound, is there a way to stop Seattle right now? I don't know, um, and I don't know if Portland is the team to do it either. The matchup, I think, really favors the Sounders here. If you if you dig into these teams a little bit, uh, Portland is a team that. You, they will give up some possession. Seattle will will play with possession. So similar to DC and New York in that way. The issue that I think is going to hurt Portland is Diego Valeri is their linchpin in attack, and he plays out on the left primarily, and he'll cut in. Seattle will want to attack behind him when he goes. That's Portland's you know weakest side on the left defensively. That's where Ladero has been playing primarily. And I think you'll also see Jordan Morris kind of shift out to the right and create space for Dempsey to move into the middle. I think it's going to be a really tough matchup for Portland to deal with that. I'm, I'm really curious to see what Caleb Porter does to counteract that because I don't know if he's got the people to do it. 
I, I think because of that, I think Seattle gets another win and just keeps this thing rolling. Yeah, I'm thinking Seattle like three to one. It's it's at home. They're rolling, like you pointed out, and I was hoping like either you would say it or I would that <clears throat> like. Portland has this soft underbelly that they like to expose, and Seattle has a really shiny and sharp knife, and they like to use it. Um, I'm thinking Seattle three to one. The train keeps rolling, and then we revisit it next week because they just turn around and play this next week in, and I will never stop calling it Geldwin Field, uh, Portland. So um, maybe that's a different story when it's at home, but like it's in Seattle, they're on a roll, and they are. The, the their special move right now is stabbing you exactly where Portland is vulnerable, but I'm thinking three one. Yeah, I'm thinking two nothing. Uh Portland's been shut out their last four road games. I think that could definitely continue here. I just think Seattle is just a tough matchup for them right now. And you know, I I think it'll be kind of good for them in that second game to be able to react more to Ladero. I just don't know how they solve it in this game. I, you know, Seattle's on a roll and I think that's going to continue. Yeah. And, um, that's a good question. Like, how do you solve it going forward? Like, do you, do you change up your entire strategy? Do you, do you, do you keep him from drifting inside? And like, I don't, I don't know. Like, they've, do you, they've struggled. I, I mean, Portland struggled on the left defensively all season, you know, before yeah. Ladero came into the picture about, in this. Like, so. I just don't think they solve it all of a sudden now. I mean, do they, do they sacrifice do they really sacrifice attack to try and just to try and protect that and i mean who's to say that you have uh morris up top just doing the damage by himself then if you focus too much if you lean too much on your left side you know the right side like it's it's not like it's a uh it's not like it's a high school player on the other side i guess yeah i mean there's there's options now for seattle that they didn't have before you know, when you didn't have Ladero, you could key in on Morris. He wasn't getting service. You could key in on Dempsey. Now they have more guys to play off of. So if Morris drifts out to the right to create space to cause a problem, Ladero can cut inside. Dempsey can can go to back post. You just have more options. And I just you I don't really think Portland's don't want... got the the chess pieces to figure it out. You really don't want Dempsey putting up a hat trick against Portland. <laughs> well, well I do because I want to see. I want to see Twitter, but I'm going to yeah, see Twitter, be- and I need to go go look at the Seattle Sounders blog on uh, SB Nation. Uh, Sounder yeah, at heart, sounds, by the way. Sounder oh, at yeah. heart will be going insane if that happens. Um. Anyway, so uh, we'll take a look at all that. We'll see how they do. We'll come back next week and talk about how Jason was right and I was wrong. Um, well, I think you can we're also pretty find- much on the same page this week, so... Yeah, but I'll be wrong about the score. Watch. Uh, you can also check out Stumptown Footy. It's got you covered for uh, Portland games. Find more Atlanta stuff. Uh, Dirty South Soccer on SB Nation. That is your home for Atlanta soccer things with Atlanta United. I'm going somewhere with this, I promise. Uh, you okay. can find either one of us. Jason Longshore is on Twitter at Longshoe. Remember, check him out on Wednesday nights with the ATL Soccer Chat. Hashtag ATL Soccer Chat. He'll post the link on Twitter. Jump in. Facebook Live. Periscope, whatever it is, feel free to jump in and discuss what the goings on are. I can be found at Jarrett underscore Smith. After this, feel free, check out, go check out with our guys over at Mouse of the South. They'll do the truck town check in and just keep you up on everything else at Lane United. Uh, Jason, anything else? No, just looking forward to uh, 
looking forward to the Minnesota announcement. I wonder if there's going to be anything in that announcement that might, you know, give us a hint as to what's next in terms of the expansion process. And looking forward to those two big games on Sunday. Those are both going to be fun games to watch. Absolutely. Well, since we can't watch U.S. women's soccer at the Olympics anymore, we're signing off. Thanks again. I'm Jarrett Smith for Jason Longshore. Thanks for joining with the Peachtree Post.